This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, thanks once again for tuning into the podcast today. Hope y'all are having a great day wherever you're at. Hope you're healthy and happy and getting outside and enjoying some of that sunshine. It's a beautiful day here in Steamboat Springs. Just a few clouds in the sky, but I think it's going to be another beautiful spring day. So um, I have a friend with me today, a new friend I've met this year on the ice, actually. We were at a ice fishing event for Rocky Mountain Sportswoman, and Kristen was there helping us getting everything ready, and I thought I would have her on. So I'm going to have you introduce yourself to everyone and kind of let us know a little bit about who you are, your background, and what led you to becoming a park ranger. Yeah, hi guys. My name is Kirsten Miller, and I work for Colorado Parks and Wildlife as a park ranger. My primary station is Pearl Lake and Steamboat Lake State Parks, and that's where I spend most of my time when I'm working. Um, Yeah, so I actually grew up here in the Yampa Valley. I uh, was lucky enough that when I was placed at my park, I was able to come back home, and most of my family is still in the area, so it's a great opportunity, even just outside of the career field, to be able to come back home. And what led me to this career path was probably the fact that, you know, I grew up here and I enjoy outdoor recreation. I love to hunt and fish and camp and do all those things that make this valley in particular so great to live in. And all of those life experiences and, you know, my my studying of biology in college kind of led me into this career path. And It wasn't actually something I thought of going into college as a possible career, but uh, I started working at a state park after I graduated, actually, just as a seasonal and found out it was something that I love and I'm very passionate about. Yeah, I'm lucky to do what I do. Yeah, I, I feel like it's one of those things, like in the summertime, the rafting company that I've worked for in the past, 
we always have this joke when we're whether we're on the river or carrying boats or just hanging out at the boathouse we're like wait we get paid for this right <laughs> you know um to be able to be outside and why don't you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about what you know a day in the life of a park ranger looks like and i kind of want to dive into why we have park rangers and you know why we need them to to be out there and kind of the whole full circle of why it's important and for our state parks and for the public and how you guys help educate others and try and help people get out and enjoy the great outdoors. So if you just want to kind of expand on that, you've got the floor, talk about what you like, but uh, that's kind of want to get that point across to everyone kind of on, you know, the essential, like, you know, the little pieces to our public lands and our state lands and how we manage them and things like this, you know, to try and help keep it um, protected and the rules and whatnot. Yeah, definitely. So I guess I'll start with talking about what Colorado Parks and Wildlife as an agency actually does and who we are. So Colorado Parks and Wildlife actually manages, obviously, all of the state parks in Colorado. There's 41.5 right now, I guess, technically. Um, We're working on opening up a new state park down by Trinidad. It's called Fisher's Peak. And I know they had kind of a limited soft opening so far. But, um, you know, we're working on getting that one up to full speed. Hopefully by the summer it'll be open um, to the public regularly. So we manage all 41 state parks in the state. We manage all of the wildlife species of the state. That's both game and non-game species. We manage over 350 state wildlife areas, 19 fish hatcheries, and tons of recreational programs. Colorado Parks and Wildlife issues hunting and fishing licenses. We conduct research to uh, improve wildlife management. And um, we protect high-priority wildlife habitats through acquisitions and partnerships. So we provide technical assistance to private and other public landowners concerning wildlife and habitat management and we develop programs to protect and recover threatened and endangered species as well so a lot of times i think people think that you know because we are the agency that um issues hunting and fishing licenses that that's all we're concerned about but we actually do a lot of work with endangered and Mm -hmm. um, threatened species uh we also administer the state's trails program which uh We, I guess, manage the registrations of off-highway vehicles, including dirt bikes and side-by-sides, boats and snowmobiles. And that money that people pay into their registrations every year actually goes back into whatever type of recreation they're doing. So it goes back to the trails program, and that money goes into building new trails, to maintaining the trails that we already have, Um, boating safety stuff for our water recreation and um, for snowmobile it goes into the grooming operations for the snowmobile clubs so all of that we we do a lot of different things but the most interesting thing that I think a lot of people don't understand is how we're funded Colorado Parks and Wildlife is actually a user-funded agency we don't receive general tax dollars so the sales of parks passes, camping permits, hunting and fishing licenses, all of that is what actually provides the bulk of our funding. Mm-hmm. Um, sportsmen's actually contribute the largest amount to our overall funding for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. But um, a lot of people, I guess, assume that 
we get tax dollars, which we don't. There's, I guess, a certain percentage of our funding that comes from excise tax on the sales of hunting and fishing equipment. But, you know, most of our money actually comes from the user groups that we provide our services and um, use for. So I guess, you know, <laughs> it's a lot. why, yeah, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess as a park ranger, I'm, you know, a tiny piece in this huge puzzle that makes up everything that Colorado Parks and Wildlife does. But our primary duty is to be on a state park and provide, you know, a wide array of services to people. Um, officers with Colorado Parks and Wildlife are actually fully commissioned peace officers. So we have the same law enforcement capabilities as a, you know, a city police officer or a county sheriff's deputy or trooper. Um, and a lot of people, I guess, are sometimes taken back by that <laughs> because, uh, you know, they'll see the duty belt and all the gear we carry and mm-hmm. like, you know, what do you, what do you guys need that stuff for? But believe it or not, we, uh, we deal with more and more law enforcement contacts every year. Um, not everybody that comes into our state parks and our natural spaces are always, you know, looking for the same opportunities as everybody else. Right. Um, so we do get a wide, wide range of things that are going on. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of like to say that we are here to protect the park from the people, mm-hmm. protect the people from the park and protect the people from the people. That's kind of mm-hmm. how we, uh, say what we do, but basically we're here to, you know, protect those natural resources so that they're here for current and future generations. That's actually part of the mission of our agency is to perpetuate the wildlife resources and provide a quality state park system. So in order to do that, we have to make sure that everyone is contributing to that wise use of our resources and not um, taking advantage of it. So most of the rules and regulations within state parks are to serve that exact same purpose to help perpetuate those resources so that we don't get, you know, overused areas, um, too much impact from the public, that kind of stuff. And then a lot of our other rules and regulations are for safety. Um, That's a huge one for our agency is providing these awesome opportunities, but also making sure that everyone's participating in a way that's obviously going to benefit them in the long run. Um, and then, you know, the, the parks passes and fees for hunting and fishing licenses and all that stuff. We actually do go out and enforce those as well. But like I mentioned already, it's, that's where the money comes from. That's how we're funded. Mm -hmm. So if people aren't paying for parks passes and coming in, they, uh, you know, they're not, helping anybody out, let alone themselves, because that's actually how we can keep these places open and available to the public. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always chuckle when I go to a, like a state park and there's people who are parking outside of the entrance and walking in because they don't want to pay what, like the $7, the $12, whatever it is. It went up to $9 at the Steamboat Lake now, which there is kind of um, a varying price model now. Mm -hmm. So depending on the park, they're there is a little bit of variation in what we charge, mm-hmm. but it's super funny that you say that because recently um, certain parks now have a walk-in pass for that very reason. 
because those people are, you know, still having an impact on our resources. They're mm-hmm. coming in, they're using our bathroom facilities and, you know, recreating and mm-hmm. not paying into it. So there is actually a walk-in pass um, for a lot of state parks and Steamboat and Pearl Lake are actually two of them. So, so that, you know, we can hopefully encompass that user mm-hmm. group as well. Okay, so they're just paying paying a fee as they're walking in or they're paying yep. like a an overall fee for like a season's walk-in pass or there's actually um the potential for that to be a thing the walk-in pass for for annual purposes but right now it's just a daily pass and it's four dollars and if someone you know say that you do have an annual pass on your vehicle um and for whatever reason you chose to bike into the park for example you can use that receipt from your annual parks pass to get you in gotcha so it's just basically making sure that you're paying into what you're using and don't you guys have a like a year lifetime parks pass for like the elderly once they reach a certain age we used to used to um yeah it Mm -hmm. was a card actually that you got Mm -hmm. and i honestly don't remember what the price was but yeah it used to be a lifetime pass if you were a senior you could purchase this card and then every year you'd take the card in and we'd just give you a free pass mm-hmm. um they did get away from doing that i just don't think it was as popular perhaps as they thought it was going to be right and yeah. so we do still offer a discounted rate for colorado residents that are over 65 um it's a 70 dollars annual parks pass instead of the 80 dollars regular annual parks pass and mm-hmm. so it does give them the discounted rate on uh, coming into the park, but it also comes with a $3 discount on camping fees mm, Sunday through Thursday. Yes. So nice. if they're making reservations, they'll get a discounted camping rate, which they're good for a calendar or sorry, not a calendar year, but for month of purchase until the end of that month, the following year. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're a pretty good deal. I think people really enjoy that pass, especially with the camping perks. Right. Yeah. To be able to have that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what about like internships? Do you guys offer any sort of recruitment or internships for people who are wanting to get involved in this kind of work? Yeah. So we actually have tons of opportunities in the summer, especially within state parks. Um, a lot of the wildlife uh, biologists and different positions within the wildlife side, they offer tech positions. That's kind of what they're called, but, um, you know, opportunities to go out and do, uh, telemetry work and, uh, you know, interact with some fawning operations where, you know, we're trying to figure out, uh, Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters, May 17th, do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I guess deer and fawn ratios and Mm -hmm. cow-calf ratios. We've got a lot of opportunities like that. And then... Within state parks, we actually hire lots and lots of seasonals every summer. Mm -hmm. So like I mentioned, that's actually how I started um, within the agency was as a seasonal. Uh, Every year we hire seasonal boat inspectors, seasonal park rangers who actually do hold 
a limited law enforcement commission and can enforce our parks and wildlife rules and regulations. And then we also have um, visitor center positions and naturalist interpretation positions. So those folks will go out and provide education programs to the public and um, kind of do some outreach and engagement on the parks. So we have a lot of opportunities for that. And then we also do um, internships. So if one of our seasonals comes to us and says, hey, I'm still in school, I'd like to make this part of an internship, um, their supervisors are always happy to accommodate that and do mm-hmm. whatever they need to do with the school to make it happen. Absolutely. That's great. Yeah. Um, one thing that I was kind of wanting to dive into a little bit more is what are some of the ways that you guys help uh, enhance or protect the fish and wildlife populations in those state parks? Yeah, that's an awesome question. So a lot of parks, not all of them, so you actually have to look into it, um, do offer hunting opportunities within the park. Steamboat Lake is actually one of them. Um, So we manage the wildlife just like everywhere else in the state. Mm -hmm. Um, The management model for Colorado Parks and Wildlife is that North American conservation model. And we are, you know, just as an agency leaders in conservation of wildlife. And I think that, um, you know, the variety that you see within state parks of different wildlife just for wildlife viewing purposes even is a testament to you know what this agency is really capable of and um steamboat lake state park is actually what is considered a gold medal waters so that means that we have a high density of large fish Mm -hmm. in our lake and um obviously provides awesome angling opportunities for people and you know within the park it's especially important um, to make sure that we really are enforcing those bag and possession limits and fishing licenses mm-hmm. because, again, all of that money is what uh, pays for, you know, stocking and uh, management. And we, uh, we've we got um, people that come up and, you know, obviously sample the fish and check on how all of that's going. And um, we've got people that come up and do ANS testing just to make sure that we don't have any aquatic nuisance species and, we have boat inspectors that diligently look over every single vessel that's coming into our lake to make sure that we don't get any invasive species that will basically cripple our fish habitat. Mm -hmm. So um, that kind of stuff. And then just uh, good habitat management. We don't um, encourage people to, I guess, make social trails all over the park and fragment Mm-hmm. our landscape in that way um and we uh we try to just maintain the trails that we have and keep the resources i guess as well maintained as possible to provide good habitat for everything that's already living in the park right so with the fish being caught there is it all catch and release or no actually so um if you look into a colorado fishing brochure the 2021 Colorado fishing brochures just came out um they're a great resource this is everything that our agency expects an angler to know about fishing in the state of Colorado um if you look in the book it'll tell you statewide bag and possession limits and some bodies of water can actually be more restrictive than just statewide bag and possession limits and so it's important when you're going to a new lake or new 
uh, stretch a river to look in the back of the fishing brochure because everything is listed out alphabetically and it will tell you if a body of water is more restrictive than the statewide bag and possession limits. So if you look in the back, you won't find Steamboat Lake because it is not, oop, my apologies, my phone's making noise. Um, Steamboat Lake is just statewide bag and possession limits. However, if you look in the back, you'll find Pearl Lake State Park, which is the other park that we manage up there. And it is artificial fly and lure only. And bag and possession and minimum size for trout is 18 inches and you can only mm -hmm. have two. Right. So all that information is in the back of the fishing brochure. But at Steamboat Lake, you're allowed to keep um, four fish a day, up to eight in total in your possession. Nice. <clears throat> It's such a big, like, overall, and I, I never realized how big, like, CPW is. Oh, and, yeah. Like, there's, how many, off the top of your head, do you know how many employees they have? Like, roughly? I don't. Just like, if you were to do a guess. Boat, like, yeah. we have six full-time staff, and then, depending on the year, we can have upwards of 20, 25 seasonals. Mm -hmm. So, that number obviously fluctuates just immensely, depending on the time of year. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say we have 300 ish full-time officers and again that number with uh seasonal employees changes um every season depending on what we have going on we also have um administrative staff that work in our offices um you know there's a whole financial mm -hmm. team and uh we have a we have a lot of employees yeah this is it kind of this kind of goes off a little bit topic, but I'm going to bring it back. I was talking with Clint yesterday. We were just talking about um, farms and how or like ranchers, cattle ranchers and how I have noticed in the past few years that these big properties of land that these farmers own, how it creates this sanctuary for the wildlife essentially to thrive um, they're not getting that public pressure from hikers mm -hmm. or people walking their dogs or people accessing river to fish or to waterfowl hunt. And especially in the wintertime in the spring when the elk and the deer and bear and everyone, all the animals are coming out and they're calving, how it essentially creates this safe place for them. Um, mm -hmm. and how that kind of correlates with like, if we, we were talking, I was like, if we didn't have these ranchers, if there was n none of this private land, you know, like as hunters and anglers and just general outdoors people, every once in a while, it's slightly frustrating how much private land there is here in Colorado, as I'm mm -hmm. sure there is in other states. Uh, but I've come to realize how essential that is for these population numbers. And if we were to wipe away all that private land and turn that to public access, what would then happen to the population numbers of these wild animals. Same thing versus if we didn't have park rangers and all this management in these state parks, how different our wildlife and the population numbers and the fish and the habitat and everything would completely be different. Absolutely. Um, you know, and we, again, we try to just make sure that um, people understand we're not a preservation agency we're a conservation agency mm -hmm. which means that we support the wise use of our resources we're not trying to keep people from recreating or doing these things but we're also trying to manage and maintain population numbers and fish numbers and you know these 
pristine outdoor spaces. So, you know, you mentioned that um, these private, these large chunks of private land are providing sanctuary and habitat and protection for a lot of our wildlife species. Even a lot of our public land, we have seasonal closures on for that exact reason mm-hmm. um, to allow, you know, the elk when they're coming into this time of year, the end of a long winter, this is when they're the most vulnerable, when they're about to calve, when they're in the worst body condition. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the time of year that a lot of those closures are absolutely imperative. And we understand people want to get out or get in spring fever, but, you know, maintaining any of those closures we have on public land is absolutely imperative to mm-hmm. maintaining the resource and keeping those animals, um, you know, healthy in population density. Yeah, very important. My friend was driving to work the other day and he noticed an elk had, it was a small elk. It had to have been a yearling, probably a mm-hmm. year old or so coming up on a year and it had crossed the road and he was like, that, that thing's hurt. Like he was looking at it. It wasn't acting normal. And instead of jumping over the guardrail, it kind of just like rolled over mm-hmm. and was laying there on its back and like couldn't get up. And so he parked and He's like, I, you know, helped this thing out, try and get it up on its feet. He saw it was struggling, so went over and tugged out on it a little bit and, like, didn't get up and move. And so he was like, man, this elk is definitely acting like it's sick or it's hurt in some way. So he ended up calling just the local police, and um, he was on his way to work and just let him know that, hey, there's this sick elk on the side of the road. Maybe you can come up and check it out. So they did, and... Um, they ended up just finishing it off and on his way back Mm -hmm. down, um, he stopped and it was there. So he called and was like, Hey, can I get a a permit for this so I can take the meat? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. Just start field dressing it and we will, we'll send you a tag for the elk. And he was stoked. He's like, ah, so much fresh meat, you know, some extra meat in the freezer. What a pleasant surprise. We went to cook it up the other day and, for one, the back straps were smaller than what a deer back straps would be. We're oh, like, wow. This is interesting. Like the meat is very, the it's very small. The tenderloins, they were super small. And so he cooked it up and it was this really like spongy texture. Normally it has some sort of like firmness to it, right? Mm-hmm. And we were like, ah, I don't know. Like <laughs> if we want to eat this, and we're like, let's just cook it for a little bit longer and see if it hardens up and cooked it for a little bit longer. And it just had this really weird textured like sponginess to it. We ended up not eating it because I'm pretty sure that elk was sick with something. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was CWD. Uh, but it, I think it was probably just some malnutrition from the winter and yeah. um, just losing all of its density and its meat. And I think it just came down to the point that it was very close to dying just from malnutrition and not surviving the winter. Yep. Yeah. And it's crazy because, you know, this winter hasn't been bad. Right. Um, we haven't seen the horrible impacts of a bad winter mm-hmm. uh, this year at all. And it just goes to show how important, you know protecting those places and giving those animals a place to go is very um, important. Yeah. Give them that yeah, space. They, yeah. They have such a hard time, especially this time of year. You know, it's, it's the dark right before the dawn. They're just holding out for that first little bit of spring. And, you know, we just got to get them over the hump, I guess. And Man, I can't yeah, imagine being an elk or a wild animal oh, and yeah. being like, all right, you guys, 
one more month, we can do this. (laughs) Or not necessarily one more month, but human. Yeah, exactly. Being anxious for spring. I can't imagine Mm -hmm. the anticipation that they feel. Yeah. And this time change, it's taken me a while to get used to it. (laughs) I don't set my alarm. I wake up with the sun. Luckily Mm -hmm. I have a job that I don't like have to be at at 8am in the morning. And so yeah, uh, for a while there, I was like, oh, I'm getting up at 6.30 every day. I'm getting an extra hour to be productive, and I love this. And then time change happened, and it's like, whoa. Yep. <laughs> yep. This is taking me a while in the morning to get ready. Kind of have to yeah. refine that motivation. but Definitely. Yeah. What are How are things looking for spring coming up for you guys? Good. Um, you know, up at Steamboat Lake, we actually have lots and lots of maintained winter trails. So – the park's kind of split into a non-motorized section and then a motorized section that provides access for snowmobilers to get to a couple different national forest um, locations. And, you know, this time of year, the snow just kind of starts rotting and we have several creek crossings and stuff that if, you know, if we keep getting these sunny days, we're going to start losing more and more of those creek crossings every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we try and, uh, groom them and maintain them as best as we can but it gets to a point this time of year where we're trying to hang on to every last bit that we have and um you know they're still in pretty good shape but like i already mentioned the winter wasn't as great as Mm -hmm. they have been in your years past so yeah um snow in general we were just kind of i don't know a little less on the the snowpack side this Mm -hmm. year so Hopefully we can hold on to those for a little bit longer. The ice is still really deep, but again, with these sunny days, we're going to be getting into that slushy season. Mm-hmm. And I know I don't particularly care for those <laughs> days. Um, not the most fun in the entire world to post hole all over the lake. And, yeah. you know, that bottom layer is definitely still safe, but yeah. it's still unnerving to fill your boots up with water walking around on the lake exactly walking in a pile of slush yes when does ice fishing usually go into i'm sure every obviously every year is different with the snow and the temperatures um but what's like your average season look like for ice fishing you know we usually hang on um at least through part of april and sometimes may i mean it really does depend on the year though Mm -hmm. um Last year, it was, you know, a really good winter, and I feel like our ice hung on a little bit longer than it normally does, even with that warm spring. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it'll just depend on how many more sunny days, because if it's sunny and windy, that just, there's nothing that rips the ice off the lake faster than that right? combination there. But, um, yeah, we should probably have about a month left at least, you know, through the end of March. It should mm-hmm. still be good. It's just it gets into that slushy stuff, and it's not that maybe the ice isn't safe it's just that people don't enjoy going out like that Mm -hmm. um you know even in your snowshoes it's very unpleasant so um we still have a little while though nice so are you always are you stationed at the lake year-round yep how are do your and do your duties pretty much stay consistent year-round so instead of focusing on the ice fishing now you're more so focusing on people who are fishing or hiking probably get a see a, a rise in numbers in hikers right Yeah. So, um, my job obviously changes based on the season. A lot of people, I think, assume that because it's winter state parks are just quiet or maybe less, uh, less used, Mm -hmm. but that's actually not the case for Steamboat and Pearl Lake. We get just as much use in the winter. Um, I mean, obviously not quite the numbers, but 
it's still busy for only a couple full-time staff members. Um, so like I said, we have uh, motorized and non-motorized groomed trails up there. So I'm out checking snowmobiles all winter, um, making sure that all the skiers have parks passes and walking around on the lake checking ice fishermen. That's pretty much what I do all winter. Um, like I mentioned before, Colorado Parks and Wildlife actually does manage the registration program. So in the winter, we actually go out and do snowmobile patrols to check registrations on snowmobiles in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also check on the grooming of all of you know the areas in that north route section. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey... Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Um, because that trails money goes back into the snow clubs that groom the trails, so it's mm-hmm. important that we're actually checking on the status of grooming, making sure things are being groomed as they have been said that they are. Right. Um, so that's pretty much what I do in the winter, and then we get into our mud season, our first mud season. I always and, I keep hearing uh, this whole mud season thing here in Steamboat. Is yeah, it? It's really a thing, huh? It is a thing. So uh, you know, it's kind of a joke that we don't really have spring. It's winter, mud season, August, and then winter <laughs> and, again. Yeah, and the like snow's back. Yeah. So um, it just gets kind of sloppy up there. You know, we get all the trails starting to melt out and uh, the lake's kind of mushy. So we get kind of a little shoulder season where there's not great opportunities just because the snow's not deep enough to ski, but it's not gone enough to hike without, you know, being completely bogged down in mud. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of an off season there where we try and get all of our seasonal hiring and all that kind of stuff done. And then, you know, starting, Memorial Day, we get into that summer season, which after COVID last year, it has been a huge change, um, I guess, in the way we are seeing people come out to recreate. Yeah, rise in numbers. Um, Yes, Mm -hmm. crazy, crazy uh, spike in numbers. So, you know, I want to say the year before, we had some people that would camp on the weekdays and... um, it wasn't as popular, I guess, for people to be taking these like week long camping trips. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this last year, because people could work for home, from home and had a little more flexibility with their schedule and just wanted to get out, um, we saw a huge increase in numbers. I think our campgrounds were full about 90% of the time um, from that Memorial Day to Labor Day span, which is mm-hmm. predominantly our summer season, really. Right. Um, so we, we had huge increases in numbers and lots and lots of visitors that were actually new to any type of outdoor recreation simply because there was nothing else for them to do this year. It blows my mind that it takes something like a virus to get yeah. people to realize that, oh, I'm bored. Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe let's try go outside and do something. Yeah. <laughs> you um, know? It, was, it was great to see that, you know, people had finally, mm-hmm. I guess, realized that. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it just kind of changed the dynamic of what we do. Um, a lot of new people, like I said, so that education piece of what we do was so important because we'd get people that came in that 
don't know anything about anything. This is their first camper. They've never Mm -hmm. camped in a state park before. Um, So a lot of um, education opportunities for sure. And, you know, within our state park, people can make reservations up to six months in advance online. And Steamboat Lake and Pearl Lake are, I guess, what you could consider uh, destination parks. And so people were making reservations last year and so it was pretty full regularly but still people could come in sometimes on weekdays and get a a campsite kind of as a Mm walk-up but this year i've had people calling that are like i think there's something wrong with your system i tried to book (laughs) a campsite in june and it's saying they're all full it's because they are um (laughs) we are completely booked Uh, i think right now they're booking out into september already wow and it's yeah i mean i look through our reservations and we're jam-packed 24-7, which is, you know, completely different than normal because normally the weekdays kind of free up and give us some opportunities to do other programs. So um, it's been really interesting to see the change with how busy we've gotten the last year. Yeah, it is absolutely gorgeous out there. When we came out to ice fish, that was – I had been out in that area previously a few years back during the fall Mm – with a friend we went out and camped but I was just blown away I felt like I was just in the middle of the mountains nowhere you know in the middle of nowhere just fishing on the ice with my friends it was just such a great way to disconnect from everything and you know luckily you know this is such a positive thing that has come excuse me from COVID is right people realizing you know, to use their natural resources and to reconnect with nature and to spend that quality time with their kids or their spouses or their friends or just getting out there alone and and spending some time. And whether that's ice fishing or snowmobiling or hiking or, you know, I'm really curious. I want to take a look at the number of hunters this year to see if there's, because I feel like there was definitely a rise in the amount of people coming out to hunt every single trailhead that we went to. Mm had at least four vehicles at it and you know it's a give and take you you want to encourage and you know that's part of why we do this podcast is we want to educate and we want to encourage people to get out there but if you take a look at how much land is in Colorado and other states you know I'm not necessarily Mm -hmm. just being specific to Colorado here but there's a lot of land out there (laughs) you know maybe, maybe try this this other this other trailhead or this place but I think you know a lot of people are used to you know, doing with what's somewhat comfortable. So we want to go to a trailhead that we can hike in and that we can access. So it's opened my eyes a little bit more to where I'm going to hunt in the future. Like I obviously want to get away from the pressure of the public and start hunting these areas where the animals are going to be getting pushed to. And it's might going to be a little bit more trek to get in there, but, um, it's such a give and take. I, you know, a balance just like anything in life where, you know, we want to educate and support and encourage people to get out there. But at the same time, it's like, whoa, this is a little overwhelming. There's six trucks at the trailhead. Mm, mm-hmm. Maybe we should go somewhere else and <laughs> go to the next spot. Oh, there's five trucks here, you know? Yeah. But. And I think this year, too, we had a lot of hunters that were displaced from those fires. So there, mm-hmm. I, yes. So I guess in the summer, you know what I do. Mm-hmm. And then in the fall, I do spend a lot of time out checking hunters. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I talked to a lot of guys that were like, we've never been here before. We just kind of, we were winging it because we had this tag and it does cover this area and we Mm -hmm. can't hunt where we always hunt. And so this year overall was just strange for everybody, I think. 
um, when it comes to all of that. Are you, you're able to, you have the authority to check hunting licenses and. Yep. So mm-hmm. as Colorado Parks and Wildlife, um, we are one agency. So we all work out of, um, you know, our, I guess our main priority is title 33 law, which is parks and wildlife law. And so, um, I am fortunate that where I'm at, the wildlife officer um, appreciates the help and my park manager um, supports us going out and doing those kinds of things. It's not the typical um, experience because a lot of state parks have very different visitation than we do that time Mm -hmm. of year. Predominantly in the fall, our campers are hunters Mm -hmm. Um, and there's not a lot else going on within the park. So we are actually able to break away when we have coverage and go out into the areas that surround the park because the park's pretty much surrounded by national forest Mm -hmm. um and help out with those hunting patrols do you take time off every year to hunt a little bit for yourself i do yeah i also have an awesome boss who lets me do that he's (laughs) super super supportive of that Mm -hmm. and you know it'll get towards the end of the season he's like you sure you don't want to just you know go try like one more weekend Mm -hmm. i'm like you're right i probably should (laughs) Good suggestion. So, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. fortunate. That's great. What do you have any hunts in particular planned for this year that are are new and different and exciting for you? Or what do you, you know, got I haven't quite decided what I'm doing yet. I yeah. need to. That's actually something on my to do list for today is to sit down and since the draw is coming up, mm-hmm. decide what I'm doing here. Yeah. Um, I tried bear hunting last year for the first time, and that was awesome. I had so much fun. So I definitely want to do that again this year um was that with more archery time. archery or rifle? no i i ended up getting one of those early season rifle tags mm-hmm. um and going out and yeah it was awesome i had so much fun uh i feel like bears one of those species here in colorado bear and mountain lion are two species and coyotes that we <laughs> need to encourage people to to break out it's not you know it's not your typical I shouldn't say not your typical, but like I know a lot of people starting out when they hunt, it's all about shooting an elk or all about Mm -hmm. shooting a really nice buck. But the bear populations and the coyote and even the mountain lion populations here are insane. I'm sure you probably see bears up there quite a bit. Do you ever see any mountain lions cruising around? No, cats are a little more, uh, I think, skittish to the people that we have. Mm -hmm. We did have... um, one at least that we're sure of up at Pearl Lake and that's pretty common um we just don't see them very much Mm -hmm. and that particular cat a couple of our staff members saw a couple different times and she did have a couple of cubs that were spotted um but she she never came out and really bothered park visitors again I think it's because cats are a little more um elusive i guess right and pearl lake is busy all the time with people so yeah i think they just kind of stick to that backside by the forest and don't really cause much fuss um same thing with bears in our park i think there's just so many people that it's not worth it to them Mm -hmm. to come in and do much of that obviously if we do have one in the area we try to go out and educate people make sure everybody's Mm -hmm. being bear aware and putting food away and not leaving stuff out but luckily we don't tend to see the problems that you know the city of steamboat sees for example yeah like i was going to say like that's a a great example of how 
you guys are properly managing the park. You know, people aren't leaving mm-hmm. trash out where the bears now are like, oh, this is an easy meal. You know, yep. they're not feeding the wildlife, um, respecting the animal space in return. Those animals are going to respect our space as well. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Cool. Have you thought about mm-hmm. antelope hunting at all? Um, you know, that's actually one thing I've never hunted is antelope. Yeah. Um, Me either, my, but I'm going to try yeah, it, I, I think, this year. Yeah, my mm-hmm. fiance got a private land tag and actually shot one out of our backyard last year. Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I like antelope. I just yeah. have never done it. My mom mm-hmm. and um, dad and stuff always have antelope hunted. It's just not been something I guess I've been super excited by. I don't yeah. know why. Just haven't been. Right. So but did you I've grow actually, up hunting? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, pretty much something that I've always done. I recently got into archery hunting. So that's been an awesome, fun, new experience. You should come do um, Total Archery Challenge with us. You know, that's something I've actually looked into recently. So I probably should just get a hold of you guys. and. Yeah. We yeah. are doing Saturday and Sunday. It's in Glenwood Springs at Sunlight Mountain. I did it last year. And I just loved the atmosphere there. So Total Archery Challenge, you can m- make it as competitive as you want. But it's mm-hmm. not like a paid competition. You're, you're paying the money to go and shoot this amazing, well, there's several different courses. And mm-hmm. so we're going to shoot, you know, one course on Saturday and then Sunday morning we'll shoot another. Sunday is going to be more of a difficult, real scenario, um, you know, shots. You know, you're shooting up to 70 yeah. yards and you're shooting through trees. You're shooting on a steep incline. And um, some of those shots even go further than 70 yards, but... We're going to go and we're going to shoot a couple days. And like I said, I just, I love the atmosphere there because you go in and people are just stoked to be outside on the mountain with their bows, surrounded by people who are wanting to do the same exact thing. Mm -hmm. My friend Jake and I went there last year with intentions to just shoot together and Mm -hmm. we got off the lift. And so you have to hike up the mountain, then you like a little ways, a few hundred yards, and then you take another lift up to the top of the mountain and then all the courses are spread out and you go to your course and basically hike your way back down the mountain. It's just a great, it's about, it depends on your group size on how long it takes you. But Mm -hmm. so it was just the two of us and we're like, well, let's just try and get in another course after this. Like it shouldn't take us too long. It's 25 3d shots that you have. And Mm -hmm. we ended up being behind this other group of four guys. And they're like, why don't you guys just tag along with us? So you're not just waiting for us to finish, you can just shoot with us. And we're like, yeah, cool. And we hopped right in and it's like we picked up like we had been buddies forever. I've been in contact with a couple of the guys from that group and we were just messaging the other day and he's like, hey, we're going to be in Big Sky, Montana, if you want to join us. And I was like, well, shoot, I kind of have some other things planned. Um, I'm not going to make it work. But yeah, if you want to join us on Sunday, we have, um, I think there's still spots. Saturday sold out so fast. I was... At nine, so registration opened at nine o'clock and I was sitting here with my computer and like the countdown was going and I was just waiting because I was like, this is going to book up super fast if they are, you know, making a reservation, like a right. selecting one day for you to make reservations to open mm-hmm. it. So I was trying to book three spots for me and two of my friends and I wasn't even able to get us all on the same knock time because that's how wow. fast people were. Um 
people were booking it up. I'm hoping to bring along some of this podcast gear and mm-hmm. not have a booth, but it'd be cool to have it. We're going to do a camping trip. We're going to camp all weekend and we're going to shoot awesome. Saturday and Sunday. So the, and like another great thing about this course is, you know, you come up to the spot to shoot and it's 50 yards. Well, no one says you have to shoot at 50 yards. If you don't feel right. comfortable shooting at whatever distance it is, you just wait until everyone's done and you know, cause you're in a group and it's one group at a time, you know, one mm-hmm. group moves on and then the other group comes in. It's not like this rushed pressured, uh, shoot. And so there was a few shots where I was like, ah, I don't feel comfortable shooting that. I'm going to walk up another 10 or 20 yards and take a shot. And awesome. so it's very encouraging. We were, there was this kid that was 12 years old that was shooting with us. And it was just really cool to see his dad there. And each time his dad was coaching him, he's like, take your time breathe you know slowly pull the trigger and some shots he was perfect some shots he completely lost his arrow and I mean that happens to all of us (laughs) yeah (laughs) I think I lost a couple arrows but really puts into perspective the real life scenarios that you're going to experience when you're out there hunting it's not 20 yards 40 yards you're on a perfect horizontal line shooting at your target repetitive you're hiking you're in the sun you're in the elements you're surrounded by good people. It's just, it's so much fun. So, um, I encourage all of you guys to check out these sort of archery challenges. I'm going to be doing the, um, alpha archery challenge as well. It's put on by no limits archery in Denver. And that one's more of like a physical challenge mixed in with that. So you've got to do like some sandbag getups and like sprints and things where you're actually physically exerting yourself. And then you shoot at the target between each one. So I love those sort of competitions. They just make us, I feel like such a way more competent hunter going into the hunting season and to be able to like physically push yourself like that. And to have an idea of what your shot placement is looking at when your heart rate is jacked up and you're tired, is usually a good piece of humble pie. So <laughs> yeah, I've heard great things about yeah. those, those yeah. types of shoots. Cool. Awesome. Well, Kirsten, it's been lovely. Yeah, I'm thanks for having get me. To I it. Thanks it. for all the information. If anyone needs, you know, if there's people out there and they're looking for more information on, you know, there's a lot of information that we talked on, especially about like what C- who CPW is and, you know, what you guys do. Direct them on over where they can find more information if they're looking for that. Yeah, so if you guys visit our website, cpw.state.co.us, You'll find everything about everything that we do. So hunting information, fishing, camping, parks passes, registrations, um, all of it's going to be on that website. Hunting licenses too, right? Like that's yep. where you you can find your yeah. big game manual. You can go on there and yep. look up your big game manual. I also discovered yesterday you can go on there and look up the statistics from last year's and yep. the year's previous hunt. Like if you're trying to plan your hunt, you can go on there and you can – Go to unit 15, how many tags were given out for non-resident, how many tags were given to the youth, how many tags were given to the ranchers and, you know, whatnot. And then you can kind of break down your odds and look at kind of what are your chances at drawing a tag or maybe being successful in a certain area. So a great resource. And thank you, CPW, for all you guys do. Like, without you guys, we wouldn't be able to enjoy the state parks and hunt and fish and be able to enjoy all of it. So thanks. Yeah. 
thanks to you guys. All right, well, have a great day, Kristen. We'll, we'll chat more about Total Archery Challenge and uh, some hunts, huh? Perfect. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Bye. Got a deed to the land, but it ain't my ground. This is God's country.